My next guest is a bishop, a pastor, a philanthropist, a songwriter, a producer, an author, and an entrepreneur. He was recently named Colorado's Pastor of the Year. Please welcome the People's Bishop, Bishop Kevin Foreman. Bishop, how's it going? Amazingly well. I'm grateful to be alive. I've, every day is a gift, so I got a new gift today. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Well, hey, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump right into this. What do you do? <laughs> uh, here's a better question. What don't I do? How about we <laughs> um, so in, the, in my world, so I am several things. I wear several different hats simultaneously. So I'm a bishop. The bishop, just simply put, is a pastor to pastor. So it is an individual that leads other pastors, leads other churches. So our portfolio that we lead, and I, I use that term just because it's easy for everybody to visualize, is just shy of about 100 churches, ministries, mm. and that also includes businesses, business owners. Our, our approach is a bit more expansive than just church and just ministry. So I lead leaders. Every general needs a general. And so my responsibility is to lead leaders, pour into leaders, be the strength that they need, provide the wisdom, the counsel from every aspect. I can go from human resources issues, personnel issues, property issues, you name it. Typically it's something that, that will come before me. And in addition to that, I'm a pastor. So we've got Harvest Church, which is where uh, that's my focus from a pastoral standpoint. We've got a location in Denver, soon to launch a new location in the Atlanta, Georgia area. We're excited about that. And of course, digital, which we've had digital for a while, but all the more so now in light of uh, recent changes uh, that are happening in the world. So you've got that. Then I do a lot in philanthropic work. I believe that we make our, our living through our giving. And so I am very big on doing that. So we are um, do a lot of work as it relates to that. And of course, we're gearing up for the, the next major set, which will be uh, the holiday season and what have you. So we're gearing up for that. Uh, let's see, songwriter. So written some songs and uh, I love doing that. I actually got into ministry through music. I started as a drummer and I got to tell you, I was awful. I was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> But I got better. And so we do some of that. We do some production stuff. So we're working with some artists on some of their work now, some of their projects now. And what else? I do a lot of TV, radio, and hosting, and, and what have you, and things like that. And then uh, we're production of our, our own show and our own broadcast. And so uh, a little bit of everything. An entrepreneur. So I'm in the world of uh, finance and investments also. Uh, I just really believe that we can live, you know, well bound whole lives where every aspect of our life is there. So I think I hit everything. <laughs> well, you're right. Uh, you definitely wear a lot of hats. And you talked about starting as a drummer and you got better. I would say so. I think you got inducted to the Colorado Gospel Music Hall of Fame. Is that correct? Right. That's right. Right. So I, I had to get better to get in the right. <laughs> So, so right. And what's amazing is, is Colorado is a unique area, especially in light of what I do as an African-American man and the gospel world where typically is, has a greater preponderance of African-Americans. Colorado is 46 out of 50 for lowest church attendance in the nation, mm. um, the state that only has 4% African-American in its population. So it's amazing that there even is a Colorado Gospel Music Hall of Fame, and I was honored to be put in it. So I started in drums, then I'm with the keys, and then did a lot of choir work and, and singing and all those types of things. So it, uh, drums were sort of my gateway into mm -hmm. this whole other world. That's great. That's great. And uh, no, it's got to be exciting opening up a new church in, in Atlanta. 
Now, the Harvest Church that you have now, can you just talk a little bit about the church in general and how you started it? Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. I'll be very point blank. I didn't want to start a church. <laughs> um, I did not want to start a church. I was very happy. Um, so simultaneously, while doing some ministry things, I had started my first business at 12. So I helped. Uh, There's a bank here called Young Americans Bank. They still have my picture up in that bank. There's a, a whole second level. They call it Young Ameritown. So it's basically where young people go, learn different careers, uh, different business strategies, you know, all types of things. And so you'd go in, schools will take their classes in and that type of thing. And so when kids are going up there, my picture is at the top level there for them to see. When I was 12, awesome. <laughs> uh, it was such an honor, right? So, yeah. <laughs> But I also told him, y'all need to update your material. That's old. But nonetheless, so in doing that and starting that process, I had a business background. So by the time I was 21, I built a very successful real estate business, the largest in terms of volume, led by an African-American in the Denver metro area. Wow. And so that was my background simultaneous to music ministry and ministry in general. So I was very happy in the business world. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go from that into politics and into, well, into law first and then into politics. That was my plan. Yeah. Um, but you know, I always believe that our plans are great and then they're supposed to be interrupted. Um, mm -hmm. That's the way life works. And so in that, I would eventually start the church. I didn't want to do it. I was good on the business side of it. I knew how to start something from nothing from a business standpoint. But one day I was driving down the street as we're in this process and then fear just came over because I said, what am I going to have to preach every week? I was like, I'm going to have to come up with something new every <laughs> single week. I said, I'm going to get boring really fast. And consequently, that is the least of my concerns mm. now, which I think is a great lesson because sometimes what where you fear you may be inadequate what will actually become the greatest areas of strength. Mm. Uh, and so we started the church with nothing and nobody. The only thing we had was my, uh, I like to say it, uh, was my was my, my money. Uh, that's all we had. And interestingly enough, the business that I built, that industry, real estate finance, that particular year, it was collapsing mm -hmm. in the secondary market, just meaning things were beginning to break down. And right. uh, I watched over the weekend on, on a particular news channel, I watched one of the banks that we use, that bank became insolvent. And then it was like dominoes. Bank was after this bank around 2008? Yeah, well, so 08 is when it hit the primary market, but it hit the secondary market way before that. So it yeah. started end of 05 yeah. is when it started toppling. And mm -hmm. um, so at that particular point in time, I'm like, oh my goodness, I just opened a new office. Mm. I just hired a bunch of new people. We did a bunch of business in Southern California, even though we were in Denver. Simultaneously at that time, this whole church thing comes about. So I'm like, why could we have done this church thing when I was at the zenith <laughs> of my business or the apex? And that taught me another lesson that sometimes your greatest victories come through your deepest valleys. Mm. And so as that valley was happening, this new victory of a church was coming. And we started with nothing and the Harvest has grown multicultural, multi-generational. It's a debt-free organization. And uh, it's amazing to see what's happened, again, in an area where the demographics don't support that happening for an African-American man, which, again, taught me another lesson. It doesn't really matter where you are. As long as you've got the right mindset, right skills, you'll succeed. You drop anybody anywhere, they'll succeed. That's so amazing. Not only that, just the story you just said and how you're debt-free now and all the growth that you've had, but also being named Colorado's Pastor of the Year. Right, right. Yeah. That on top of all that, that's just, just amazing. Right. It, it, again, just an honor. You know, I, mm. I view it as an honor. Um, mm. Every day, any type of accolade or accomplishment is bestowed. I, I really view it as an honor. I, mm. 
literally, I have this typed in my Evernote that uh, I exist to change lives. So mm. anything, I am on the planet to help better the lives of other people, period. Mm. Point blank line. So regardless of what I'm doing, even in business, you know, we're currently developing a loan fund that will help underserved communities get access to capital. And the why behind my what is changing lives. Everything yeah. is, that's what drives me. That gets me up in the morning. That's what makes me, you know, so it makes me drive. So it is, it's, it's an honor for me. Well, you definitely got drive. You you talked about all the things that you're doing. You also, I believe you you have a, a Bible college, a Harvest Bible College. Yeah. You have a fit program that you're doing. Yeah. And, and an author, right? You have five books. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many just, things you forget. So many things, right? <laughs> and all of them, and, and you touch them in, in a day. So, how do you, yeah, how are you able to do all this? You know, um, one good diet, <laughs> right? So I lost 95 pounds, mm, wow. um, all natural, no surgery, not knock anybody that does this, it's not the way yeah. I did it. Uh, all natural, no surgery, no pills or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I changed my eating and stopped eating fast food, stopped yeah. eating at six and just made some really, some really big changes there. The one thing I have not stopped is eating white bread. I have not stopped, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Um, but You say stop eating after six? After six o'clock, I don't even oh, have wow. to stick. And this is before it was called intermittent fasting. Yeah. It was just, you know, this was just, I didn't even have to six. Mm -hmm. no movement around it, but it wasn't called that at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I started slimming down and, and losing the weight all natural. And I actually didn't realize what I was doing. I, I had been casually dressing that year and I had to go teach a leadership summit up in, uh, I think it was Keystone or Vail, one of the mountain areas here for some leaders. And so I had to, you know, wear a suit and tie for that. And as we were going up, one of the, um, the assistants that was with me, I went to, to go and put my suit on. And, and I and as I put it on, the sleeves were hanging off of me and the pants were hanging off. And I said to him, I said, man, you brought me your suit. I said, how would you pack the wrong suit? And I found out on accident that at that point, I had lost at that point 75 pounds wow. because I've been casually dressed and I just really wasn't paying attention. Mm -hmm. Which taught me another lesson. Sometimes you don't pay attention to the changes that are happening in you or, or on you or through you it takes something drastic sometimes to see just how far you've come. And so we started this whole thing called Fit Harvest that helps people to, you know, give us some accountability, helps them to lose weight, doing it in an all natural way. And we've seen people lose, I mean, the biggest so far to my knowledge is 135 pounds. Wow. Like a whole person, wow. um, yeah. which is amazing. And then you mentioned the Bible college. Yeah. That's a great opportunity for people to, we're the only, to my knowledge, the only degree granting theological institution in the state of Colorado. So people are going to mm. do doctoral level degree and it's extremely affordable. You know, I was raised by uh, a single mom who did a heck of a job. And, and I always think about if a single mom would have to choose between furthering their education or taking care of their children. Well, that's an easy choice all day long. So uh, for me, I wanted to make it very affordable. And that's what we did. So uh, it's literally all online. It's self-paced. People can, you know, take it at their own, um, their own mm. pace. And it's not going to break the bank for them to be able to earn a degree uh, in a theological context. So um, nice. that was one of my one of my great passions to get that done. That's awesome. All right. That's great. Now, going from real estate to becoming a pastor and owning your own church. So can you talk about that transition? What was that transition like? And were there any surprises? Like, I know you might have known some things going into it, but there's some things that just surprise you when you... Great question. So because I've been in ministry and, and business simultaneously since 12, both of them are 12, I knew a lot of what to expect. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So to me, the business side of a church was easy. And, and sometimes people don't like to view it that way, but that's the reality of it, right? Um, mm. Gospel is free, but to get it to people is not. Mm-hmm. That requires staff and infrastructure and teams and buildings and equipment and com- computer, you know, all of that stuff mm-hmm. that takes to move a message. And, and so I understood that side of it. The greatest surprise to me was actually the people side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the roles that I had had in ministry up to that point, I was a support staff role. So I was not the senior pastor. I was an associate pastor or music pastor, these different types of things. And so I didn't sit at the helm of the ministry side. I sat at the helm of business, not at the helm of ministry. So when I took the helm of ministry, all of a sudden, this pastoral heart comes. And the best way I can describe a pastoral heart is every single person seems like a project that's yours to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that can do to you is it can set you up to go through some great hurts. I went through some deep hurt, mm-hmm. just to be real honest, some deep hurt and some deep pain, um, just with betrayal and people that you help that disappear, and that people who you go out of your way for that then turn around and make up things about you. Like, being lied on was something I was like, whoa, wait a minute, uh, what's, what is this? Like, how does this happen? Again, I was used to business. I was used to how to navigate through that, but I wasn't prepared for it at all was the series of personnel issues mm. that would come. And I was a very pastoral, very paternal type person. So my loyalty works like this. I say this jokingly, but you, you tell me the truth, I'll help you lie to them. And I only <laughs> use that this as an example that not to say that's what I did, but that my loyalty to people was that strong. You could take my loyalty to the bank and to not see that reciprocated. I'm going to be honest, that hurt. Um, And it was very painful. And for a good period of time early on, I got very bitter and I didn't know it. And consequently, my weight carried my bitterness. So when I began to lose weight, I began to see areas of bitterness. Mm. And so it was hurtful. It was painful. And I was not prepared for that. And I think in transitioning there, that if you're not prepared on how to handle people, it can make you doubt whether or not that's the right path for you to be on. Mm. And I think the greatest preparation I could have had in hindsight was preparing for people so that I wouldn't take it personal because I took it a lot personal. Every negative word, every person that disappeared, every betrayal, every hurt, every lie, every gossip, all pieces of slander, I took it all personal. That was the wrong way to handle it. Now, I'm guessing that can't be easy not taking that personal when you've been taking it personal the whole time. So how'd you, how'd you change that? How'd you get to be able to cope with that? Right. A couple of things. One, I realized that um, everybody's in process, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes if you, for church in particular, but this is bigger than church, it's life. Everybody's in some form of a hospital and everybody's Mm -hmm. in some form of healing. Yeah. recognize everybody's in some journey of healing, you realize that that means they had to be hurting. So hurting people are going to hurt people. Often, they're going to hurt who's closest to them. And if you, that's you, it's coming at you. So realizing it's just the state of humanity that people are in the process of healing, sometimes that's going to hurt. But the second thing I did is I began to separate who I am from what I do. Because they were so connected that and, and I'll be honest, in many ways they still are, but I w- was able to make some of the disconnects in certain areas. So I'd be lying to you if I told you that there are not some moments where right. there's a challenge with, with people that it may not affect me for a couple of minutes, but I can tell you that it's not affecting me beyond a day. Right. 
I keep it moving. And, and I just had to separate the two that this is part of what I do. And this person's blank, whatever, does not affect who I am. And I cannot allow that to stop me. And, and if I could throw a third thing on there, mm -hmm. stop letting people that weren't the reason I started be incentives to stop. Mm. Reasons to stop. If you're not the reason I started, then you shouldn't be the reason I stopped. Mm. I like that. Start because I knew you, so I shouldn't stop because you hurt me. I like the way you look at it. Um, and I, I see how that can help you get over how you were approaching it. So, all right. And then now we also mentioned that you're an author. So can you talk about that too? How you got into that and sure. what made you start writing books? You ready for this? So here's how I got into yeah. writing books. <laughs> lots of pastors write books, lots of inspirational speakers write books and things like that. So I thought eventually I would write a book, but what ended up happening is we had a blizzard in Colorado and it was a bad blizzard that particular year. So I had all day to, and this is pre-FaceTime. This was pre like text, like this is when you still have Palm Pilots and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, the Motorola Razor, I think was still like the hot phone I had. Yeah. And so I'm like, what am I gonna do all day? And there was nothing, you couldn't go anywhere. All you could do is eat and watch TV. Um, and there was no Netflix at that time. I think all you could do was the DVDs. So like, what do you do? So I said, let's write a book. That's literally how I got into it. So wow. I, I started typing a book out and I wrote it all within a day and a half. I typed it out myself. And it was based on this principle. I said, I made this deal with God. And I said, God, if, uh, after the, that business that I built collapsed, Collapsed and that industry collapsed, really the industry collapsed, which affected the business. I said, God, if you get me out of this and you show me how to come out of this stronger, I will then use that to teach other people. So my first book was about how I came through that, how I navigated through financial high to like this financial dead sea, like, you know, the lowest place on the planet, like you know, this very low financial place to where you go from having a flow of money on Friday to Monday, yeah over yeah and uh, you've got to shut things down you've got to lay people off and so that was the book so i made the deal with god and then the blizzard came. so then i was able to fulfill the deal and my first book was called getting your finances in order which we've since re-released as uh, making money moves <laughs> the art of getting your finances in order and i talk about what i did to come out of that you know how did i get out of that really rough rough time right the art of getting your finances in order. That's right, the art of getting your finances in order. Making money moves. The art of getting your finances in order. All I right. Borrowed, borrowed that line from a song. Making money moves. All <laughs> right. <laughs> well, great. Okay. Well, now, can you talk about what, with all this going on, can you talk about what a typical day looks like for you? Sure. There isn't one. <laughs> so right now, going uh, as we're getting gearing up even more for more Atlanta, as travel's beginning to pick back up. So part of my week, I'm in Denver, part of my week, I'm in Atlanta. And then part of my week, I may be in another city as things are beginning to really move to some level of a new normal. Um, and so typically, it's lots of phone calls, lots of digital meetings. And this was pre, you know, what's happening in the world today. It was like that. So my day may start as early as 5.45 in the morning. Sometimes if I'm catching a red eye, it may start at 3. And I always then regret, why did I do this early? <laughs> Like, why did we do this flight? And we begin navigating through the day, uh, leading our staff, leading our team in the variety of what's happening. One of our major projects, as at the time we were recording, is, is staffing for the new Atlanta location. And so 
we have had over 6,500 applicants wow. to be a part of our Atlanta location. That's a, we've never had that type. Maybe everybody gets that type of response. We've never had that type of response to any type of offering as it relates to employment. So once people matriculate through that process, I like to be involved in, in who's on our team. So that takes a large part of my days now. You've got recording. You've got recording our leadership podcast. You've got recording stuff for broadcast. You have message preparation, which that, that's not something that I can just get done on a Sunday morning right before, you know, church or Wednesday night right before church because of all of what goes into it. You have to have graphics and videos and all that to go along with it lower third so that has to be done in advance um that requires a lot of advanced preparation time for series and creative things that happen so that happens throughout the day and then you've got the business aspect of ministry you know interacting with our bookkeeping team interacting with facilities persons and all of the things that happen with that uh, while simultaneously planning on an expansion in a, in a new area so it's a lot of everything. Yeah. I can tell you, I'm not in a book writing mood right now. So yeah. I'm working on a book right now. Mm-hmm. I'd be in a mood for that. But for example, working with all of our leaders as we do a lot of musical things. So uh, writing those songs, creative sessions with that. So acting as the executive producer for all of what happens with that. Um, so a typical day is there is no typical yeah. day. Um, what the schedule looks like one day, the next day, it may be, it may it looked like it's open, but that just only means I've got a bunch of time to go plan and prepare for what's coming next week. Best way I could think of it is if um, if someone's in entertainment or an actor, actress, something like that, or even in sports, really any any industry, imagine the highlight, the big thing that your industry has. Imagine doing that twice a week, every yeah. week. Yeah, That's what that looks like. It's two Super Bowls a week and twice on Sunday. Wow. Jeez. Wednesday. <laughs> Then when you add Atlanta, um, that'll be even more. So um, that's what it looks like on a weekly basis. But because I love what I do, yeah. to be honest, I don't tire from it. Mm. Um, I love it. So, you know, while, you know, it's, I'm notorious for being up at, you know, midnight, one o'clock and sending an email to somebody or, you know, covered up with it. I'm notorious for that because, mm-hmm. you know, as I go, as I flow, that just, yeah. I, it gives me light. It doesn't drain me. Guessing you have to be extremely efficient with everything that you do. You know, you do. Uh, mm. You do, but if I could say, you do, but you don't. And, and mm. what I mean by that, I do because of the kind of person that I am. Mm-hmm. The way I was in business, same way I am in, in ministry. I like to be as efficient as possible. Yeah. Uh, I like to be a good steward of time and resources. But there's some that, you know, that's not, that's, that's not their particular flow. Mm. Um, they're a bit more lax in that approach and not knocking it. It's just different than my approach. So when people come around me, um, they quickly learn that, oh, like he goes. Like, yeah. I, I start early, I end late, but I have fun in doing it. So, yeah, that's yeah. good. Great. Now, you talked a little bit about the uh, preparation for, uh, for church and uh, for your sermon. Can you talk a little bit about that, what goes into it? Oh, sure. That's fun, yeah. right? So I actually plan a whole year in advance for the series. I oh, teach wow. them. So each month or every other month, we'll do a brand new series. So okay. this recording, we're wrapping a series called Viral Videos. Mm. So literally, um, the concept of the message series was that we took popular viral videos from social media, and then I took those and then taught spiritual principles from them. Mm. Um, I love using what's popular in culture to teach from, because sometimes people when it comes to spirituality it, the bible can be seen as 
antiquated. Well, that, you know, that's thousands of years ago. Well, but it's, it's alive. And so that means the principles are still appropriate for today. The principles are timely. And so I will take viral videos. I will do movies. I'm a big movie buff. And my movies are not church movies, right? right. So I like movies like New Jack City. Like, <laughs> that was one of my favorite movies. Um, I like movies like What's Love Got to Do With It? And, you know, I love a bunch of action stuff, too. But I love stories of seeing people overcome and things like that. So we'll do series like Harvest at the Movies, where I'll take movies and teach spiritual principles from that songs and not just church songs i'll take songs that people will be like did they play that in church <laughs> um, because i just believe that the gospel is relevant so for me i'll plan the series out pray about it we plan it out uh, literally a year in advance november of every year we plan out the next year and these are the series now every message isn't planned but every series is planned and then we start building creative around that um, one, one year we did a series called animal kingdom so it was zoology, theology, uology. So it was taking these animals and we brought live animals into the church. You brought live snakes, live spiders, live eagles, all the different animals we had. When you walked into the building, there was like fog, like you're in the jungle. There was fog in the building and you had jungle music, you know, playing in the background. <laughs> and it was a whole experience for people. So when people came into church, an experience for them and people were able to overcome fears because after church they were able to hold a python which for some people like oh you know they had never done that yeah. i used to be arachnophobic so i you know i had to teach tarantulas and all this stuff they wow. um, said well why would you do all of that for church well again it's got to come alive mm. um, tons of talking heads and that's great but i'm a visual learner so i need to see it person can tell me all day but if i can see it I can get it. So that's what our preparation looks like. And then we just get creative from there. I take the principles and, and just really begin to build it from there. Nice. Wow. That's great. And it seems like you're using what's current to reach everyone, reach the youth. You, you know, yeah. there's lots of young people, but really everybody, because everybody. everybody likes to have fun. Like yeah, that's true. Is have fun in church. So, you know, some people, the, even the thought of, I never realized because I've been in the church world since I was a kid, I never realized, and Denver has been great in this because Denver, again, is 46 out of 50 for lower church attendance. So most people who come to Harvest in Denver, this is their only church experience that they know. You have tons of people who were atheists, tons of people who were agnostic, tons of people who de-churched. They grew up in church and then fell away for some reason. And I never realized how just walking into a church building, even if it doesn't look like a church, just walk into the building, how much that can take for a person to do predicated upon their background. Mm. So if a person has a negative view or a negative connotation, especially in America where church is too often assigned to a political persuasion, a political party, which it's not, mm. um, it's just sometimes it's how it's projected. It's, it, that's a bad projection because the Bible predates America and it predates Republicans or Democrats or any kind of particular party. Right. So in that, a gentleman said something to me. He said, Bishop, if you were walking into a, a mosque, he said, how would that be for you? I said, you know, well, I'm the type of person, I'm gregarious, I'm engaging, so I probably start engaging people. Hello, how you doing? That type of thing. And then he said, so imagine when they start taking their socks off and they're, you know, start walking through that. He said, how would that be for you? I said, you know, it'd definitely be different. I said, it would certainly, and, you know, some of the attire and things like that. I said, it'd be different. I said, you know, to be honest, that's a whole nother world. It would probably take a lot of mental preparation to just enter a whole new world. He said, that's exactly how people who have never been to church feel. Mm. And the light came on for me. So I said, let's do everything we can do mm. 
hence the moniker, the people's bishop, let's do everything we can do to make this as easy for people to come in the door. Once they hear the information, that's on them. What they do with it, that's on them. But at least let's make it so that it's not a 15-week decision just to come in the door. Just right. And so, hence again, the series like viral videos and we got one coming up, she's a bad mama jama and, uh, you know, just whatever it might be. Uh, I try to make it so that it's palatable and everybody can sit and receive. And whether a person has been in church for their whole life or a person is trying to figure out what they believe or a person, you know, wherever they're at, my desire is to present it in a way to where they can say, you know what? I understood it. I totally got it. And I wasn't made to feel uncomfortable. Right. So even as I dress, like I'm probably the only bishop with tattoos um, that I know of. I don't know how I dress. I am not always in a suit and tie. In fact, lately it's been extremely casual a majority of the time. Why? Because to me, let's remove things that create discomfort or a sense of you know, dis-ease or unease that could be a block to a person hearing your message. Yeah, no, I get that. Definitely. Based on the things that you said, you can definitely tell that leadership skills and communication skills are important in what you do. Now, you can say other things like organizational skills, multitasking, but what other skills, skill sets and characteristics do you say are, are very important to be successful in your line of business? Great question. You hit them all. Um, leadership is very important. That's extremely important because at the end of the day, you, you got to move the mission forward. That's in business, that's in industry too. You have to multitask. Um, you cannot be monolithic. I think what happens a lot of the times for people today is the thought is, well, I'm just good at creative, so that's all I'm going to do. Well, that works if you're the creative director only. <laughs> but if you're the chief executive, you're going to have to know enough about everything so you can get everything done. I don't know how to do everything, but I know how to get everything done. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to also have organizational management. How do you build your organization and structure it for growth. So interestingly enough, we get more done now with less stuff because of organizational principles. So how do you streamline things? How do you cut the fat? Churches are notorious, if I can be honest, for not the best administration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, still using clipboards to sign people up for things, right? Or, or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of progression that's happened, but we're able to get more done now with less staff and less people. I literally joke with people, I could run the entire organization from my phone. Mm -hmm. um, and I joke, but it's really the truth. I really could. Organizational management. Resiliency, I think, is a skill you've got to have. You're going you're gonna to get hit and you literally don't have any time to get on the ground. You have to get right back up. You have to get right back up. There is no time to lay on the ground. There's no time to wallow. There's no time to, woe is me. There's no time. Nope, you got to keep it moving. Why? Because... And what I do, people's lives are depending on it. Like this is just bigger than, uh, uh, you know, than preaching the gospel. You know, the testimonies that come in of people who say, I was going to commit suicide, but I didn't. I was an alcoholic. I was a this, I was a that, I was a this, I was a that. I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. And you become the catalyst for which they get inspiration. They get information. They get hope. All pointing them back to God. And so... You can't have a Sunday where you come in, I had just such a rough week, so much that, like, you don't get to do that. I guess you could, but, like, who's going to, one week or two weeks of that after that, you're like, what is this going <laughs> to um, So you got to be able to be resilient. And if I could give one more, I would say, in terms of the skill to have, is the skill to evolve. 
I think sometimes, especially for men, at least I will say, when we learn something, we typically like to latch on to how we learned it and the way we learned it. Uh, not all men, but certainly many. And I had to learn how to evolve. So I have a saying, I'm married to results, but not the method. Mm-hmm. I'm married to seeing progress, but I, am, I will quickly divorce how I got there. Yeah. And that's helped me because sometimes it's easy to say, well, we've been doing it like this for years, but if I could borrow a business example, Blockbuster said that too. Right. Um, and, and then passed on Netflix and, you know, there's, I think there's one Blockbuster left in Alaska. Alaska, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I don't want to be Blockbuster. I want to be Netflix. <laughs> no, well, and you could tell you, you're talking about, you can do everything on your phone, basically. You're using the changes in technology instead of using that clipboard <laughs> right, to, uh, right. to, to do what you need to do. Right. Now, okay, that's great. And can you talk about what you love about what you do? Oh, wow. It goes back to something I just mentioned, seeing lives change. Mm-hmm. There is no greater feeling than seeing somebody's life change, particularly when it's coming from a very rough place, people who are suicidal or people who were atheists, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes people have this view that, well, I don't need church because I have a good life. Well, like church is not because you have a bad life. Like it's not, you know, God is not because things are going bad. It, in my belief, it is quite the contrary. The gospel means good news. So it's good news. So seeing people as lives transform, you know, or seeing a person who was a seven figure earner is a multimillionaire who comes for the first time and says, you know, I didn't think I needed this God. I thought life was good. I thought everything was fine. But, you know, I ended up moving forward and now I've given my life to God. So seeing lives change, I enjoy seeing us give. We're big givers. We're big givers. We give a lot. We've given, for example, just last month, we gave away just shy of $100,000 in clothing and furnishings. We gave away two cars and and things to people. So we believe in being big givers because, again, a principle of ours is we make our living from our giving. So we're big on that. So I love giving, like that brings me so much joy to give and to do that. So changing lives and being able to give. And then I just say, thirdly, seeing the progress. Every year since we've started for 14 years, every year has been increased. Every mm. year, not one year has there been decrease in anything. Every wow. year, which is, is, again, just a testament, I believe, to, to, uh, to, to grace. Definitely. And that's amazing. Every single year. Every yeah, congrats year. to that. Thank you. All right. Now, what about on the flip side? I know you mentioned earlier having to be resilient, but that means you're always having to be on. You mentioned some of the personnel issues. You mentioned COVID, but what other type of challenges or obstacles are out there for you? What keeps you up at night? You know, I'll be honest, nothing keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to make a joke. I said, let's just too hot in the house. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I wouldn't say that there's anything that I worry about. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because in building the organization, we did so to where, again, as I mentioned, there's no debt. And I think where a lot of people experience stress is because they have the pressure of debt. And if I could share that as a principle with anybody, business, family, whatever you're doing, you can do it debt-free. That's the best way to do it because then you don't have that pressure. So then when a COVID does hit, you're not living under the pressure of, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? Right. You literally say, well, you know, geez, we'll, we're going to keep moving, doing what we did. And that's what we did. We kept it moving. And in fact, we've seen more people coming as a result of this. We've seen more people connecting to what we do as a result of this. But I would say the other thing that does create stress or pressure where it is this sensation of, and this is a me thing, 
it, the sensation of um, because I'm always evolving. Mm-hmm. That the flip side of that means sometimes you never enjoy your last evolution. Mm-hmm. So just in me, sometimes I don't enjoy the progress that's been made because I'm busy making new progress. Yeah. Um, and I try to, I'll be honest, that's a struggle for me uh, to just enjoy, just enjoy the fact that you've made progress. Doesn't have to be a 15 week set of enjoyment, but just <laughs> take a minute to enjoy. And that doesn't mean I don't live an enjoyable life. I do. It just means sometimes I don't celebrate the progress because I'm moving on to the next thing so fast. And so that can create a little stress sometimes just not enjoying the progress you've made. And the only other thing I'd say that can sort of be an obstacle is, and it's something I really already mentioned, and allowing changes, because again, church, business, it's all people, and allowing changes with people to change me for the negative. I don't want to be the type of pastor that loves crowds but hates people. I wouldn't want to be that type of executive where you love balance sheets. You just hate the people that work for you to get the balance sheet. Like I don't, I don't want to be that. And I see that a lot. I coach a lot of executives and leaders and, and, and all backgrounds, some Christian, some not Christian. And in that coaching, what we often discover is they may love what they do. They sometimes just do not enjoy the people they do it with. Right. And that can be a challenge. So for me, making sure that you don't allow some of those changes that do happen with personnel and people to make you, be a negative person. And, and the way that I do that, which I think is another cool principle for everybody listening, is that I can never be used. Nobody can ever use me. Um, if we make our living through our giving, the worst thing somebody could do is have me sow seed. The worst thing somebody could do is to have me poor, which is an investment into my own future. So changing that mentality, it helps you not look at anybody that's ever done you wrong or any, you know, we've all had that stuff, right? We've all had people, friend one month and then the next week they unfollow you and block you. Now (laughs) that's how you find out now they just block you. You don't really know. And the way you have to view that is I can never be used. The worst somebody could have me to do is to sow towards, towards my, and that messes my own future. So that helped me in in, in really good. Oh, all right. And now in that, you mentioned just sometimes not sitting back and just enjoying the progress you made. What about, have you ever just sat back and just thought about all the lives that you've changed, all the lives that you've touched? And, you know, I know that you keep going and you're, you're doing more and you're touching more lives and changing more lives. But you ever just sit back and like, wow, look at all these people that I really changed their lives. I do. Um, and, and for me, it's a, again, it's a humbling moment. Mm-hmm. Um, because I am not a perfect man. I am not a man that does everything right. I am not uh, that. So being used as an instrument to help impact somebody else's life, like that's the jackpot. Like, what, like, like that is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to do that and to know that you have been played a part in changing somebody's future forever mm-hmm. is an absolute, is an absolutely, it's rewarding within itself. And then knowing that you're able to do what you love every day, and that's not everybody's scenario. Yeah. And to know that you're able to do it, and I'm still able to be in, in the world of ministry and still able to do separate things, but ultimately they all go back to that. What I said is that mantra for me, I exist to change lives. So mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing, it has to be doing that. So yes, I do. And in those moments, that's when I celebrate the progress, right? <laughs> <I celebrate. laughs> the lesson for me is teaching myself to do that more. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Now you briefly mentioned things like helping someone who might have was contemplating suicide 
changing their minds or atheists changing their minds, being a Christian. Now, do you have any memorable moments that you can talk about over your career? Mm, wow. Um, several, a couple stick out going back to that suicide. So in Denver, suicide is the number one killer of young African-American men. Wow. Suicide in Denver, which is amazing. There's wow. a variety of reasons for that. And I remember a young man came and he was suicidal and began to share his story and tell his story. And, and as he began to tell his story, his words, and he wrote a whole four page letter, four or five page letter and began to tell his story. And, and he had watched online for a while, right? To technology, just sort of the coup de grace. He had never stepped foot in the building, ever. I never met him, never talked to him, but he would watch online every week. His mother then would watch online every week. And he ended up becoming a Christian, but. In addition to that, he was very suicidal, very depressed, uh, had a whole host of different things. And to watch his life turn around in such a short period of time, it was later, it was very rewarding. And later, he would eventually serve on my staff for a period of time as one of our assistants. And just to see him remembering when he came in, like everything about it changed, the way he dressed, the way he talked. The, the way it changed, and I think he came, it was his mid-20s, early to mid-20s, and to see his life transform, it was just amazing. And there's lots of stories with some similarities to that, but I think those suicide ones always really, really speak deeply. Mm -hmm. You know, sure, you got single moms, you got single dads, you got drugs, you got all these different things, and none of them are to be taken lightly. But suicide is that's the edge for many people. Yeah. And let's face it. More people today are suicidal than have ever been. Yeah. Um, we've got more education, we've got more money, we've got more resources, but that tells us something's still missing. Right, yeah. Um, which just to me makes what, what I do all the more rewarding because at the end of the day, people get more money, people get more fame, people have more followers on Instagram, more likes, more shares, more filters, but something's still missing. Because mm -hmm. none of that fills the void. No, you're right. You briefly mentioned this before, but just helping people with finances. People think about health sometimes, but they should be thinking about their health a lot more and their faith. Three things together, finances, health, faith, that should all be together. They need to be thinking about it. So. Right, right. Like the holistic approach, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we are spirits, we have a soul, we live in bodies. So yeah. all three of those aspects, we need to take care of our soul, mind, thoughts, emotions, our mental, emotional well-being, our physical well-being, our spiritual mm -hmm. well-being. And, and to that, I mean, there's, there's tons of testimonies about that. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we do is, again, that principle of debt freedom, which is in the book, or Making Money Moves, already getting your finance in order. Talk about how do you do a debt-free life? How do you get your credit together? How do you set a budget? And we had our largest amount of debt canceled, actually, just two days ago for one of our, we call them harvesters, $191,000. Wow. To my knowledge, that's the largest amount so far. So uh, just follow them. Man, great work, man. Great oh, work. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Bishop Foreman, we're at the end of this interview. I want to get to these quick hitter questions. I'm going to ask yeah, you these questions cool. for fun to uh, for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, though, is there anything that you, you want to talk about in addition? And is there anything that you feel like I might have left off asking you? No. Okay, I, again, thank you uh, again for the opportunity to be with you. I've enjoyed it and loved your questions and mm -hmm. loved your energy. I would say what's cool about what I do is because sometimes people have no clue what that world looks like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes 
if, if a person is church, they think the only time that pastor is doing anything is on a Sunday or a midweek or something like that. And I can't speak for everybody, but for me, it is a seven day a week thing. Uh, lives need to be impacted. Black lives, white lives, Hispanic lives, Asian, young, not as young, every background, every pedigree, everybody's included, nobody's excluded, number one. But then number two, I say that in what you do, I pray and I hope that what I've shared will encourage and inspire you in what you do, because ultimately we are all on earth to change the lives of other people for better. I do that through doing what I do. You may do it as, as a host of a podcast. A person may do it as a nurse, as a doctor, as a lawyer. And if your why isn't bigger than a check, then you need to go back and check your why because mm. it's always bigger than money. It's always bigger than cash, cars, and clothes. I love that. If your why isn't bigger than a check, go back and look at that why. Okay. Check it. If your why isn't bigger than a check, you need to go back and check. Check the why. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. All right. So let's get to these quick hitter questions. I'm ready. First question. What's your favorite sports team? Tennessee Titans. All right. All right. Favorite movie or show? Oh, my God. Batman. But the okay. original Batman. Well, Michael, not the, well, Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah. With Jack Nichols. Yeah. That was awesome. Right. Favorite musical artist or group? Goodness. Okay. Prince. I like Prince because my mother likes Prince, so she protected <laughs> that onto me. But I, but I love Prince. I love Prince. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Oh, wow. You know, um, favorite vacation spot. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say Miami. I love Miami. Oh, yeah. And last, favorite food or drink? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't drink it anymore, but Coca-Cola. Yeah. I don't have pop anymore. There's that. And then favorite food, I already said it, it's white bread. You give me yeah. white bread and bread, <laughs> you give me a piece of cardboard to go with it. Be- <laughs> Love it. <laughs> hey, well, Bishop, this has been great. Learned a lot. Great story of yours. Great story. And I just love how you're just changing lives of so many people and all the people's lives that you've touched in so many different ways. And so please continue doing it. You're an inspiration, man. And thank you for coming on to this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And again, to all your listeners, again, why isn't greater than a check? <laughs> yep. And now, can you tell people, if not in Denver or in Atlanta, where can they access your church? But not, not only your church, your Fit Harvest, where can they go to get your books, all of this? Everything is at bishopforman.com. Okay. Um, B-I-S-H-O-P-F-O-R-E-M-A-N.com. That's the simplest site. People can also, if they want to go to harvestchurch.church, that's the, the church's site. Everything's accessible there. And uh, all of my social media is Bishop Foreman. So it's super simple. Nice. Again, with the people's bishop, because again, I love connecting with people. So uh, be, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of it. I have a Snapchat, but I'm going to be honest. I am not on Snapchat yeah. that often. <laughs> so I don't even bother giving that one out. That one's different, but everything else is Bishop Foreman. Great. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bishop Foreman. Very good. All right. Have a good one. You too now. All right. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.